Uh, there's a, a story once told of uh, Albert Einstein and his, uh, his official driver who drove him around. And that um, they, were, they were on their way to uh, uh, plenty of lectureships where Albert Einstein would give uh, his, his lesson uh, to those who were there in attendance to listen to them. And his driver once uh, said to him, and he remarked that, you know, I've listened to these so many times that I bet I could give them just as flawless as you. And so uh, at the next uh, lecture that he was to speak at, they agreed to switch places. And at that time, nobody really uh, knew who, what Albert Einstein had looked like. And so they were able to do this. And the driver gave that lecture flawlessly. He had heard it over 30 times and he knew it. But at the end of the lecture, uh, he, he didn't think of this. He didn't have the common sense to think about this, that an individual came up to him and asked him a question, that, uh, a question about the detail matter or the subject matter of the lecture, and they wanted to know a little bit more, in which the driver replied, well, the answer to that question is quite simple. Quite simple, in fact, that even my driver knows that, so why don't you go into the, the back of the hall and ask him? And he can give you the answer. And of course, you know, that was Albert Einstein being back there. But, you know, it's often said the one thing that is usually said about common sense is that it isn't as common as it ought to be. And, you know, when we read uh, the, the prophets, the minor and the major prophets in the Old Testament, the, those are preachers who are forceful in condemning sin. Um, and as we look in Isaiah chapter one, it opens with this terrible indictment against the sinners in Israel. Look at verses four through six, as Isaiah says, alas, sinful nation, people weighed down with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, sons who act corruptly. They have abandoned the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away from him. Where will you be stricken again as you continue in your rebellion? The whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint from the sole of the foot, even to the head. There is nothing sound in it. Only bruises, welts, and raw wounds, not pressed out or bandaged, nor softened with oil. Did you see that colorful imagery that Isaiah gives of their spiritual state? That they were morally diseased, like a decaying ulcers in our flesh. The sin was rotting their souls, and there was nothing being done to heal them, he says. And so the, 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 the prophet continues. Look at verse 9 uh, in Isaiah chapter 1. He says, Unless the Lord of hosts had left us a few survivors, we would be like Sodom. We would be like Gomorrah. And then he goes on and tells them about the worship that they are giving to him. In verse 15, he says, So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen your hands are covered with blood. God was not happy through the prophet Isaiah of the worship that they were giving to him. And we see this corruption that's going on here. And in fact, uh, sin in every age and every age uh, means ruin. It means death. It means this moral uh, disease of the body. Uh, Ezekiel in Ezekiel 18.20 says that the person who sins will die. And in the New Testament, Paul wrote in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. You know, we deserve death uh, when we sin. Uh, but sin can do to me and to you what it was doing to people in Isaiah's time. And so uh, in our text, specifically verses 18 through 20 that we're going uh, to pin down here this evening, the prophet moves 
from cataloging their sins as he's describing to them as bad as Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's going to uh, charge them that God is going to offer forgiveness to them uh, if they would accept it. And this principle that he's declaring, it's universal. Uh, It's just as good as it was then as it is today. It's the same in every age, uh, but even more meaningful to us who are under that new covenant, right? We understand what Christ went through uh, for us. And so Isaiah speaks of this common sense religion because the Lord is showing the simple, the wonderful fundamentals of religion. And the text is going to show us that God's way is always reasonable, that God's forgiveness is always complete, that God's requirements are always certain, and God's word is always final. Let's read Isaiah chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, where Isaiah says, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God's way is always reasonable. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. This, this wording here that says, come now and let us reason together. This suggests a debate or perhaps a presenting a case in a trial. And having brought these charges against them, Isaiah, uh, the Lord urges them to examine the evidence, to reason with him about it. And if all the facts are, are, are consistent, they're, they're considered, they should have um, the mind to say that he is right. And so if they would reason correctly, he says, they would see his point. Uh, the aim of such reasoning is get those, those in this condition to see right and reality. And he says, come, let us reason together. To reason means to think through a matter, you know, examine the facts logically. And, you know, we sometimes throw, a word that, throw around that word logic. You know, sometimes we, uh, it, it could scare some folks. You know, if you've ever taken a logic class, you know, there, there's these formulas involved and it can get uh, kind of tough to follow sometimes. But it's true that there are some complicated issues when, when studying logic formally uh, like that. But most of us, uh, it, when it comes boils down to is it's just common sense, right? Two plus two equals four, and it'll never equal five. You know, th- that's common sense. And, you know, uh, our brains don't necessarily work like this, but we understand that, um, that fire is hot, and if the stove's turned on, uh, therefore, don't touch the stove, right? That's a logical argument. The, the first premise, the second premise, uh, and the conclusion are logical, uh, but we don't necessarily think that way but, uh, uh, in a logical argument, but that's logic. Right? That, that is common sense. And reasoning with the Lord out of his word, it's just that simple as well. Let us reason together, he says. Uh, it's not something that should be complicated. It's simply calling us for an honest acceptance of the truth. The facts must be accepted. You know, and you hear people all the time saying that the Bible is deep and that it's hard to understand. And of course, there are things within Scripture that are deep, that, that are hard to understand, that we need to do a little digging uh, to understand. But those things are not essential to becoming a Christian and living right. Uh, the things that bring about conversion are things that are easily grasped and they're common sense. Right. When Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, he who believes and has been baptized shall be saved. That's common sense. 
That, that's as simple as two plus two. There, there's nothing deep about that. But listening to the explanations of individuals as to why that doesn't mean what they don't or what they believe it doesn't mean, that's where it gets confusing. Uh, clear thinking will exalt God and humble self. The, the psalmist in the Psalm 119, verse 59 and 60 wrote this. He said, I considered my ways and I turned my feet to your testimonies. I hastened and did not delay to keep your commandments. And the point is that he's giving here is that when a person will honestly examine his own ways and his own needs and when he knows the teaching of the Lord, he will not delay in obeying those commandments. It's the only sensible thing to do. A thinking person, a person who will fairly weigh the pros and the cons, they will come to the right conclusion when it comes to God's word. And that's to submit to his will, to the will of God. And there are factors that must not be ignored. Right? Common sense demands that we face reality, that we face reality when it comes to sin and, and uh, things, uh, spiritual nature, that, that there is either a God or there is not. Right? That the Bible is 100% true or it's not. Uh, that uh, the Christian life is the right way to live or it's not. Uh, we have to come to that conclusion. But some people are not willing to think through these things honestly and logically. But it all comes down to this. When you have stated your reasons and excuses, when you have made all of your arguments, when you have fairly studied both sides of the matter, when you and the Lord have debated these things uh, together uh, within your conscience, you know, let us reason together with the scriptures. It is not reasonable for you to make things right with God, right? that we would want to do that. Um, if a person concludes otherwise, he, he's missed something. He's missed the mark. But one, when, one, when one accepts the reasonableness of his need, the Lord responds with this wonderful assurance. And that's where we move into point two, that God's forgiveness is always complete. Notice again in, in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. And Isaiah, again, he, he catalogs the, uh, these horrible sins that they have committed there at the beginning of chapter 1. And we know that every sin is worthy of death. Uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 23. And the people were in this, the same fate, as Isaiah says, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. But God, of course, he is no respecter of persons. And the wickedness of the past ages here in Isaiah uh, does not diminish the corruption uh, that we see today and that we will all stand before the judgment seat uh, of Christ. There's a, there's a passage that Jude, Jude in the New Testament says, you know, that's a one chapter book. And so in verse 13, he's, he says he's describing this place of eternal punishment, uh, uh, hell. And he says here in verse 13, uh, he describes it as a place for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. That's a description he gives of this black darkness. And if you've ever, you know, done painting, you know, maybe you enjoy painting, uh, you, you understand that bright colors, they shine more vividly on a black landscape, on a black canvas. And that's, the same thing is true uh, when we uh, compare the forgiveness and mercy of God towards that, that black darkness of sin, of uh, uh, this place that, that we, were, we are deserving to go to. And God told them that they were worthy of destruction, but if they would reason with him and accept his pardon, their sins could be completely forgiven. 
And not that their sins uh, can be forgiven, but that they can be completely forgiven. God's forgiveness is always complete. His pardon is always 100%. Again, he says, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they will be like wool. And and there are many passages that we could go to, uh, especially in the Old Testament, uh, as far as God's completeness to save. Here here are a few that I want to put up on the board as we go through these. And Psalm 103, verse 12, the psalmist here writes, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. You know, if, if we were to start traveling east, you know, in this, on earth, in this globe, how far would you go before you got east? Uh, actually, you never will, right? Because you're going to keep going. Wherever you get to, there's still more east to go. Uh, and that, there's no stopping place. And so it is with God's forgiveness. It just keeps on going. Hezekiah, uh, in his prayer, found in Isaiah chapter 38, verse 17, Uh, See what he says here. He says, Lo, for my own welfare, I had great bitterness. It is you who has kept my soul from the pit of nothingness. For you have cast all my sin behind your back. God had put the king's sins behind his back, uh, emphasizing that they no longer could be seen. In Micah chapter 7, verse 19, he writes, He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, he will cast all their sins into the depths of of the sea. And the Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 34 and this is also found uh, in the New Testament in Hebrews 8 chapter 12 says here that for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. See God's forgiveness is complete. It's complete and all of this because Jesus Christ washed us from our sins in his own blood. And sometimes a person will feel that you know, his or her sin has been so terrible that they simply cannot be forgiven. You know, and this weighs down on the conscience of the individual. It's a painful thing. It's hard to imagine that God could forgive every single sin that we have committed in this life. But his forgiveness is always complete. Um, though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. That, that is the great news. That is the great news. Uh, that we can have uh, that those sins washed away. And the text here is urging us. It's urging us to think through the issues involved. Again, the reality of sin and its consequences. And then to accept the, the assurance of complete forgiveness. Again, God is always reasonable and his forgiveness is always complete. But as we see, as we move into the next few verses, his forgiveness is not without responsibility. And so let's look at verses 19 and 20. If you consent and obey, you will eat the best of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. Truly the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So here Isaiah gives this promise of both a warning, a punishment, but also a blessing. And the wording fits the conditions and the fears of ancient Judah. You know, eating the good of the land it indicated to them prosperity and peace. But on the other hand, when the enemy nations came in to invade, destroy and kill, right, that's what they were in fear of. And what we need to understand, however, is that those uh, that these promises and threats were framed in the setting of ancient Israel. And the principle, again, they apply to us today uh, when it comes to eternity. 
You know, every benefit we enjoy in this world comes to us as a blessing from God. Right? Every good gift is from above and comes from the Father of lights. But let's never forget that God who gives it to us can also take it away. Uh, our eyes are on eternity. But for the Christian, those who serve God, they're the most blessed in this present world. To be in the church is the greatest blessing that we can have in this life, in this physical life. And the Lord's, but the Lord's promises, again, they are conditional. We have no right to this assurance of forgiveness unless we accept his requirements. And again, the text says, if you consent or if you are willing and obedient and common sense asks us, well, what if I'm not willing? What if I'm not obedient? And the prophet continues. He says, if you refuse and rebel. And again, this wording is too plain to miss. And these are the conditions that one must meet. And some apparently think that God is not very strict about his requirements. And they expect all uh, to have all the blessings in this life without um, regardless of their conduct in this life. And we sometimes will hear people express confidence that they are all right with the Lord no matter what. But some have, you know, they've so perverted the truth that they cause people to think that it doesn't matter whether they do what God says or not. And, you know, this is the fruit of the doctrine of faith only. Of course, Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Uh, but there, again, there are preachers out there who, who teach and, and tell people that they can be saved without being born of the water and the spirit. And common sense tells us that every time that is taught, it's being assumed that it's acceptable not to be obedient, to not to be willing and obedient. And we ought to have enough common sense to accept what the book says and to realize that these are the commandments of the Lord. And it's expected that they must be obeyed. See, Christ is the author of eternal salvation to them that obey him. Hebrews 5 verse 9. And let's look at another passage in the New Testament. And I'll put this up on the board as well. In Romans chapter 11 verse 22. This is the equivalent to basically what we're studying here this morning in Isaiah. But Paul writes in Romans 11 verse 22. He says, Behold then the kindness and severity of God to those who fell severity but to you, God's kindness, if you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. He's showing here that there is no respect of persons with God, that Jews and Gentiles are equally treated uh, reasonably and fairly by the Lord. Remember, Isaiah said, eat the best of the land. And Paul here is saying the goodness of God. But if you don't, Isaiah says, you'll be devoured by the sword. Paul says, you'll receive the severity of God. And the determining factor is whether there is compliance with God's request. That if we are following uh, his will in this life, and God's requirements are certain, and he will not make an exception for me or for you or for any of us. And so we also want to notice uh, this evening that not only is God's ways always reasonable, that God's forgiveness is always complete, that God's requirements are always certain, but also God's word is always final. Look at that last clause there in verse 20 of Isaiah chapter 1, where Isaiah says, Truly the mouth of the Lord has spoken. 
It makes no sense at all that anyone would not believe what God says, what his word says here. But yet many, again, will not accept it. Uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Uh, those outside of Christ, those outside of the church, uh, the cross is foolishness to them. Right? And so the fact that many refuse to believe, that still doesn't change the fact. It does not change the fact that God's word is final, that it will always be final. You know, there was a there was, a, you know, a man once that said he said this, you know, if God said it, I believe it. And that settles it. And then he had a friend come up and, to him and say, well, I think you should maybe reword that a little bit. How about this? God said it. That settles it, whether I believe it or not. And that's so true. Whether I believe it or not, God's word is final for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. What could be more certain? God's word is the last word on any subject, and God's word is always final. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the word of God is described as living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Right? God's word is living and active. I remember when I was studying or teaching this passage back uh, in Michigan and, and we were uh, um, you know, doing Bible class and I had a lady come up to me afterwards and she said, you know, I really don't like how this comes across, this verse 18 that says, come now and re- let us reason together. You know, it kind of suggests that um, there's a discussion going on between two equals. Uh, but I did some research into this and, and the Hebrew tone here implies an ultimatum. God is giving an ultimatum to these individuals. Come now and let us reason together. It's, it's, it's as a judge speaking down to the accused. And of course, God's word is going to be our final judge in this life. John 12, 48, Jesus said, he who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him on the last days. And so the text here that we studied this evening. Although it's from the Old Testament, the principles, again, are applicable to us in every age. The point we want to impress upon the hearts is that God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He is always the same. He will not change to suit our whims and our choices and our lifestyles. And if we are to be saved, we have to change to please him. Uh, but and you don't have to be the proverbial rocket scientist to understand that. Uh, doesn't common sense tell us that we ought to make things right with God? As he tells us here, your sins can be made white as snow. Right? They can be washed away. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. And as we study the New Testament, we understand uh, that, that Paul... Uh, Paul was told, uh, what must I do to be saved? And he was told, now, why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on, your, on his name. And as Paul was being baptized, as his sins were being washed away, they, have, they were going from scarlet and crimson to white, uh, as wool, as white as snow. And friends, that, that is exactly what will happen Uh, when we are baptized into Christ. And this evening, uh, we have a great responsibility, a great uh, request to you that if you're not a Christian, why not? 
this is the perfect opportunity to do this uh, here this evening, to not let another day go by as we studied this morning in Bible class, that we just don't know when that day will be. Uh, we don't know when the Lord will come back to, to receive uh, his children. And so if you're not a Christian, we implore you uh, to... Uh, Come forward and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and begin that new life in Christ. Or if you're here this evening and you're struggling, you need the prayers of the the church here. You need your brethren to surround you and to pray for you and to help you in this life. We'd ask you to come forward as we stand and sing this song of invitation.